Well, isn't that a great truth to know that you're saved and to know you're on your way to heaven? By the way, if you don't know that, you can know that and you need to know that. The Lord wants you to know that. You can do that before you leave here today. All right, you have your Bible. Now hold your Bible up real good for me. You know where we're headed with this. you got the Word of God, this great sword of the Spirit. And you ought to carry it with you and read it and let it work on you. If you've been reading it this week, keep holding it up. Well, if you're working on it, and keep working on your Bible, it'll help you. You have your Bible, I want you to turn with me, if you will, New Testament text, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 33. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 33. When you find verse 33, if you are physically able to do so, I'd invite you to stand to your feet with me, please, out of the respect of God's Word. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 33. I'm just going to read two verses this morning. Verse 33 and 34, and I'm going to have you read one of those with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33 and 34. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. I want us to read verse 34 together. It is the text verse for this morning. You ready? Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. I want to try to take the first word of verse 34 as a title this morning. I've simply entitled this message, Awake. Awake. Let us pray. Father, we thank you today for allowing us to be able to come out and have this time we can be together in thy house. Lord, you have been so good to us. You blessed us during the Sunday school hour. We're grateful for that, for the moving of God. Lord, we've had your spirit in our fellowship and our singing. Lord, our praise is to Zion. And now, Father, we've come to this portion of the service, and the bread of life has been broken. And I'm standing before thy people in thy house, and I have a great responsibility, yea, Lord, a great privilege, to stand here and deliver a message from the infallible Word of God. But as I stand here this morning, I am well aware, very well aware, dear Jesus, of my inability and my unworthiness so once again, I would ask you to forgive me of my sin. Please cleanse me of the precious blood of Calvary. Make me a vessel fit for thy service as I try to deliver the Word of God. The Holy Ghost, I pray you'd fill me with unction and I can preach in such a manner that everyone here this morning would feel like this message is for them and them alone. May the lost be saved. May the saved be challenged, the backslidden reclaimed, the discouraged encouraged. But most importantly, And above everything, may Jesus Christ be uplifted and glorified, for it is in His precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Lord, begin to deal in my heart this week about this passage and really what I'm going to say about awake. We we need an awakening in America. We, We look around our country and you hear people say, we need revival. I'm not going to argue with that. We do. We, we see things in our nation that we're... Uh, things happening that we 
even just a few years ago, couldn't believe what happened. We see our churches going in directions that are unbelievable. We see our churches failing, actually, all over the place. It's, it's phenomenal to me. And yet, there are some trying to do the right things, no doubt about that. But we look at our country and without saying, we say, boy, there's a problem in our nation. I mean, by the way, no matter what side of the coin you may be on or somebody may be on, everybody says that. There's something wrong with our nation. What we need is we need, and oftentimes use the word revival. Now, I'm not against that. Please don't leave here saying I said I was because I'm not. But I am going to say something. And we talk about revival. Now, the Bible uses the word awake. As a matter of fact, if you study American history, you'll find in the early 1700s before we became a nation, before the Revolutionary War, we had what is termed as the Great Awakening. Now, there was a reason it was termed that. Uh, it, it lasted over a several-year period. It is estimated that one-third of the population was saved at that time. It was a very, by the way, a very degenerate population before that started. Uh, they very commonly give the start of that great awakening to Jonathan Edwards when he preached one sermon in Connecticut entitled Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Still got it in print. And the reason we got it in print because he read it <laughs> word for word from the pulpit in a monotone voice. He didn't look up, didn't look around, he just read it. It's not my style of preaching, but God was in it and God greatly used it. And then beginning to be a great awakening in America and George Whitfield came to America and preached eight different times from all up the coast and thousands upon thousands of people were saved. They call it the Great Awakening. It changed the moral, spiritual, and course of our nation. It changed it. You cannot study American history and go back and realize that that precipitated the Revolutionary War and a lot of the thinking of the people is that Great Awakening. There was another great, another awakening. They call it the Second Great Awakening. Why do they call it that? They call it that because that God's people or people begin to be awakened in their soul. They begin to be awakened to the things of God and and the things about God. And and sometimes we we say, well, we just need revival. I'm not against revival. I begin to look this week at something, and there are two words used in the Bible. The word revive or revival is not found in the New Testament. That is an interesting fact. It's not in there. You'll find the word awake several times. As a matter of fact, you study your Bible, you'll find the word revive or revival. Uh, Wilt thou not revive us again? It's a very familiar text in Israel praying that God would revive them. Uh, but you'll find that only seven times in the Word of God does the word revive make reference to a spiritual state. To where that God revives. Now, there were people revived to life. There were people that had other revives uh, being uh, lifted up. But uh, when it talks about spiritually coming back to God, it's only mentioned seven times. Uh, you'll find the word awake at 14 different times that God uses the word awake, that He wants us to awake out of our sleep and awake from where we're slumbering spiritually and come back to the thing of God. So, what we need is an awakening. Now, God's people need that. If we're ever going to see, see anything happen in our nation, it's going to happen with God's people. Anytime there was an awakening or a revival, anytime in history, it did not start with a lost world. It started inside God's house. 
It always started inside with God's people. Judgment must begin at the house of God. That's what the Word of God says. And so if we're going to have an awakening, then it is going to have to happen inside the church. And so I said, awake. Well, we need to awake. And there's a great truth of that. We need to awake. Now, what does it mean to awake? It means to awake from slumber. Do you, do you, you realize whenever you're asleep that things can go on around about you and you don't even know they're going on? I, I mean, you, you can be asleep and uh, just fall asleep, even somewhere, not even necessarily at, at night, you can just, and things happen around about you and you didn't even know what happened. Uh, I mean, sometimes we uh, find somebody asleep and do something to them, you know, sort of mischievous, and, and you couldn't have done it if they were awake. Why did that happen? Because they were asleep. And you know what's happening is, as Christians, we're asleep. The churches are asleep. And this passage very clearly deals with that subject to the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth was a very worldly church. I mean, there's no doubt of, of that. They were asleep. I mean, if you begin reading 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and begin and just reading through 1 Corinthians, you'll find that Paul has to deal with all kinds of stuff going on in that church. And yet they, they thought they were okay. Well, they were asleep to some things. And they, were, they needed to be awake, awoken up to what was happening around about them. And so he comes to the end of this by inspiration. And, and in verse 33, I want you to notice verse 33, and then we'll, we'll just lay in the foundation. Be not deceived. In other words, he says, listen, don't anybody lie to you. Don't let the devil deceive you. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Now, that's a great, there's a mouthful in that. When I was a youth director, I had my teenagers learn that verse. We quoted that. About every time we had a youth meeting or a Sunday school class or whatever, I'd have them quote that. Because I found out that one of the things that affected teenagers is uh, the people they run with, their communications, their, their music, their magazines. <laughs> Their modems, you understand that. Uh, the movies, things they do, the people they run with, their friends. And evil communications corrupt good manners. When I became a pastor, I didn't know if that verse was important. I found out it's worse with adults than it is kids. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you something. Evil communications corrupt good manners. And the things that you put in and the things that you listen to and the people you run with, it corrupts the things of God. And, and so he makes that statement in verse 33. He says, evil communications grow good manners. <coughs> it's really not up for debate. It's just a statement of fact that God says. And then he says, awake to righteousness. He says, listen, you know how come that these evil communications are able to corrupt your good manners and your, your good walk and your good lifestyle and what you ought to be doing? It's because you're asleep. It couldn't do it at all if you weren't asleep. If you were awake, you'd realize what was happening to you. You wouldn't be corrupted. And if you were awake, you'd realize what's going on around about you. And you'd, you'd do something about it. Uh, but you're asleep. And the only way that you and I, as, as uh, children of God, can allow these things to corrupt our lives is if we go to sleep. Maybe not physically, but spiritually. And so we need an awakening as they needed it as our nation has needed it in times, and as it needs it now, we need an awakening. And we need that. Uh, we, we, we need to awake. Now, and just to finish what I was going to say about the awakening and the revival. Those two terms are used in the Bible oftentimes, and they're used by us, especially the word revival. 
Uh, we talk about having revival. I'm not against. We're still going to have revivals, by the way. Don't misunderstand that. I'm still going to tournament revival, and we're still going to have revivals. But we, we have come to a point, the word revive and revival and awake and awakening, they have a couple of things in common. Number one, there is always repentance by God's people toward God. There, there's always a time that when there's a revival, there's an awakening, that God's people get awake and they recognize where they are and what's going on, and then there is a repentance toward God. Now, at the same time, and I don't know really how to separate it, there becomes a humility toward God. There is a humbleness in the sight of God, and God's people humble themselves, and they have a time of repentance, and then there is obedience to the Word of God. Now, by the way, it changes their lives. It changes it. It, it changes the direction from that day forward. It changes the direction. You know what I'm afraid that we've done in, in this generation is that we have substituted a meeting for an awakening. We, we like to have meetings where people get all excited. And we leave that meeting and there's no change in life. A drunkard's still a drunkard. Someone that's cussing and using foul language still does. They do not become faithful to God's house. They do not read their Bibles anymore. They had a great experience. Oh, by the way, that's happened in, before in the Word of God. I want to show you something. Go to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 33. Now, in Ezekiel, chapter 33, we have a, a, a great text that's important. I, I want you to see what happened to Israel right before God destroyed them. They, they were asleep spiritually, and they needed to be awoken. They needed revival. <clears throat> but they had preaching. And they had services. And man, they enjoyed themselves. But I want you to notice what took place and what I'm afraid what takes place a lot of times. And I'm not... Don't leave here saying I'm attacking the meetings. I'm not. I'm just saying this is what takes place with them. It's the same thing as taking place here. And I want you to notice what it is. In verse number 30 of Ezekiel chapter 33, God speaking to Ezekiel. Also, thou son of man, the children of thy people still are talking against thee by the, uh, by the walls and in the doors of the houses, and speak one to another, every one to his brother, saying, Come, I pray ye, and hear what is the word that cometh from the Lord. Now, that's an interesting verse to me. Uh, God says to Ezekiel, Hey, Ezekiel, you know what? They're still talking about you. Everywhere they go, they're talking about you. And they're saying, Hey, let's hear what God says about it. But now what's the attitude what took place before that? Because they're against it. They're not for it. It says they're speaking against Him. But yet, they're wanting to hear what God says because they don't like what God says. And so I want you to notice what happens in verse 31. And they come unto thee as the people cometh, and they sit before thee as... What's that next word? My people. You need to watch that. And they hear thy words, but they will not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their heart goeth after their covetousness. He says, now they come before you, big crowd. They come as my people. 
and they hear the truth, but they ain't going to do it because they've not had a change of heart. They've not really had revival in their heart. They've not really had an awakening to the truth. Their heart is still after their covetousness. Now watch the next verse. Verse 32. And lo, thou art unto them as a very lovely song of one that hath a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear thy words, but they do them not. Now, now notice verse 32. <coughs> I want you to notice in, in that verse, verse 32, that they, they, they come and say, hey, I tell you what, man, we really enjoyed that song. Didn't we enjoy that? We, did, you, did you hear how that, boy, the music was really great. He says, you know what, it's just like that. They, they, li they like to come and listen. They like to come and have their services. But they're not going to do what God says to you. But they do them not. You see, this happened in Ezekiel's day. I'm old enough now and I've been to a lot of meetings and I've seen it happen in my day. If I really started counting the revival meetings where people changed their lives from that day forward, I'd, I could have one hand and still have fingers left. And I can't count the number of revival meetings I've been in where there was a lot of, a lot of good things. A lot of people praising God. But they leave the next day and there's no change. Now, if we're going to have God's move in our hearts, there's going to have to be an awakening in my heart. God has dealt with me this week about Mike. And if you're going to have an awakening, it's going to be in your heart. If our church is going to have an awakening, a revival, we're going to have to quit looking at people that we think are worse than us so we can justify ourselves. We're going to have to quit coming just to have a meeting. We're going to have to come so that we are worshiping God. So what does that mean? We'll go back to our text. I want you to notice something. There's three things that's said in this text. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 34. There are three things that God mentions that's important about awakening or revival, if you please. If we're going to awake, if I'm going to awake, and I have been spending the last several days praying and asking God to awaken me. I really can't control anybody but me. I can't, I can't control Elizabeth. I can't control my kids or no one else. And The only person in all the world I have any control over is Mike. And the only person you have any control over is you. And you ought to ask God to awaken you. If we're really going to see things done, it's got to start with God's people awakening to some truths. Look at the text now. Number one, awake to righteousness and sin not. Now the first thing that we have to awaken to is sin. You see, we, we are asleep as Christians as to what sin is and does to the world. It's just amazing to me the things that people say, oh, that's okay, and well, I don't see that the way you see it. Who cares how I see it? How does God see it? 
You, you see, the important thing is, what does the Bible say about it? I don't care how I feel about it. My feelings will lead me wrong, and your feelings will lead you wrong. What does the Word of God say about it? There's great truth in that. And I find churches and people that claim to be saved and claim to be following God, and, and, and all of a sudden things that the Bible is very clearly says is sin. Well, you know, uh, no, I do know that's sin. And more importantly than I know, and it, God knows it. And if we're going to have an awakening, we must deal, number one, with sin. That's what he said. Awake to righteousness and sin not. There's three things about sin that I need to awake up to. Three things. Number one, I need to see the separation from God that sin brings. Open your Bible to Isaiah chapter 59. A familiar passage of Scripture. Some of you probably already quoting it in your mind uh, as we're turning over. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 1 and 2. Now I want you to notice what sin does. This is what sin does to any person, any family, any nation, any city. This is what sin does. And I need to be awakened to the fact that sin does this. All sin. Not some sin, not big sins, little sins. All sin does this to us. Watch what it says. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither His ear heavy that it cannot hear. I hear people say, boy, I wish we could have revivals like they used to. Well, God's not dead. I wish we could see God move like... Well, God's still the same. They had that same problem in Isaiah's day. And Isaiah comes by inspiration and says, Now listen, God's hand can still do what it ever did. And His ear can still hear and still move like He's always moved. Well, what is the problem? Verse 2. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid His face from you that He will not hear. You know the only reason we don't have revival? Sin. You know the only reason that we don't waken in our own lives? Sin. You say, when I preach, hold on. No, 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 no. The only thing that can separate between us and God is our sin. The world can't separate us. The lost crowd can't separate us. The only thing that can separate between me and God is my sin. And the only thing that can separate between you and God is your sin. You say, oh, preacher, my... No, no, don't try to blame somebody else. You see, blaming somebody else is why we're asleep and in this condition in the first place. If we're going to awaken, we first must realize that sin separates between us and God. My sin separates me. Your sin separates you. Amen or are we? Alright, number two. Not only does sin separate... Did you realize that sin is actually sinful? Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 7. I know that sounds odd to even make that statement, but it is amazing how many people I deal with and they're, and they're just trying to... Uh, coddle something and say, well, that's not that bad. And, and they want to compare it to this and compare it to that. And uh, My, my, as long as we're asleep, sin doesn't look sinful. But that's not what the Bible says. Romans chapter 7, verse 13. I want you to notice what this is. 
Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. You know, you and I will never have real revival until we recognize that our sin has separated between us and God. And then our sin, Mike's sin, your sin, becomes exceedingly sinful in your life. Your sin, my sin. You see, we're asleep to sin. I hear people make that, well, everybody sins. You're asleep. Your sin is separated between you and God. Your sin is exceedingly sinful. And as long as we make excuse for it, we're asleep. And then we'll make excuse for other sin. We'll make excuse for the sin of the nation. We'll make excuse for all kinds of sin. But sin, sin needs to realize, we need to realize it separates between us and God. And we need to realize it is exceedingly sinful in the eyes of God. Number three, and I'm done with the word sin. Sin has a penalty to it. You say, what is the penalty? Well, the Bible describes it. Open your Bibles to the book of James chapter 1. James chapter 1, I want you to notice something. There is a penalty for sin. Verse 13, James chapter 1, the little epistle of James. What's the penalty for sin? If God says that my sin is separated between me and God, if my sin is exceedingly sinful, and it is, and so is yours, what is the penalty? What does sin do? James chapter 1 verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. I, I, I get so weary, these people say, well, God created me this way. Listen, God didn't tempt you to do something that He says is sinful. Your flesh did that. God didn't tempt me to do something evil. My flesh did that. The truth of the matter is, sin always brings death. Are we going to awake? We'll go back to our text in 1 Corinthians 15, 34. Number one, awake to righteousness and sin not. I must, I must get awake to sin. The separation of sin. The sinfulness of sin. And the penalty of sin, which is death. Number two, go back to the text. Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I need to get aware of the souls of men, women, boys and girls that are going to hell around me. Man, I need to get burdened that people are going to hell. I need to awake that sin has separated me, get rid of my sin, and get burdened for people going to hell. Man, we're, we're naive to that. We're asleep to it. People on their way to hell and we, we're worried about all kinds of things. People on their way to hell and we don't pray for it. We don't carry tracts. We don't witness to them. We just let them go. We make all kinds of excuses as to why we don't witness. We, we, we don't tell them about hell. Listen, I preach a lot of funerals. And when I'm preaching funerals, I find that one of the things people ask me when I get either to their house or the hospital or somebody's died... I get to the funeral home, and, and, and by and large, somebody to come up to me. It always happens. Hey, preacher, do you know if, and they'll call the person's name, do you know if they're in heaven? 
By the way, it's a legitimate question. It's the most important thing. But I'm going to tell you something. You ought to know whether your dad and mom is saved or not. You ought not to have to ask nobody. You ought to know whether your children are saved or not. You ought not to have to ask anybody. You ought to know whether your family is saved or not. You ought not to have to ask anybody. Getting concerned for their soul when they're dead is too late. There's no hope then. You see, the truth of the matter is, we find here in this passage that, that, we, that some have not the knowledge of God. And, and I'm going to tell you something. Uh, it, it is important that we tell people how to be saved. Now watch this. First, first verse, I want you to go. We need to be awake to souls. Number one, they need a Savior. You say, why do they need a Savior? Well, go to Romans chapter 3. I could quote these, but I want you to look at it. I want you to see what the Bible says. Two verses, verse 10 and verse 23. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 and verse 23. I want you to see what they say. Here's why they need a Savior. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. The next few verses describe all kinds of sin. Verse 23 just sort of wraps it up and says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know what? Every person is a sinner. Every person has come short of God's glory. And you and I need to get awakened to the fact that they need a Savior. Number two, not only do they need a Savior, they need salvation. You say, what do you mean by that? Well... 2 Peter chapter 3. Turn over your Bible. I know we're turning, but we're turning. 2 Peter chapter 3. You need to see what the Bible says and let the Bible speak to your heart. It's more powerful than anything I could come up with. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 9. I want you to notice it. The Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. There's great truth. They need a Savior. Because if they do not get saved and they, they need salvation, they will die and go to hell. And God is not willing that any should perish. By the way, that shoots Calvinism right out of the water in one verse. Didn't cost you anything extra, but it might help you a little bit. And, and here's a great truth. He wants everybody to be saved and they need salvation. Number three. Not only do I need to be awakened to sin, I need to be awakened to souls of their need of a Savior, their need of salvation... By the way, do you know what souls need more? They need, they, they need by the way, a, 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 a Savior. And they need salvation. But they need soulless. Boy, we're living in a day and age. We open your Bible to John chapter 14 please, uh, with me, please. John chapter 14. Uh, we, we're living in a day and age where people are so confused and they have no peace and they have no comfort. Deal with them all the time. And they're just walking aimlessly about. They're trying to find something to give them peace. Something to give them comfort. Something to help them in this life. And you and I as Christians, we have the answer. His name is Jesus Christ. We have the answer. Shame on us that we're not giving it to people. Wake up that there are sin that separates us between us and God. And wake up there are souls that they're dying because they're seeking. Why do you think so many people on drugs? Do you think they like the effects of drugs in their life? Do you think they like the effects of what? Do you think alcohol, that they like the fact that it makes them stupid and don't know what they're doing, cause them to die? Do you think they like that? It's because they're searching for some sort of peace. You, you, why, why do you think these people are doing all kinds of wicked uh, abominable things that they're trying to do. They're, they're, they're dying in here. And they don't know it. And we have the answer. First Corinthians chapter 14, you're there. Verse 26. And 27. 
But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you. My peace give I unto you. Not the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You know what they need? Peace. Solace. There are so many people in this world, so many souls. You and I pass them every day. They have no peace. We have the answer. But we're awake, sleep. I need to be awakened to sin and how it separates between God and myself. I need to be awakened to souls that they're on their way to hell and do something about it. And lastly, go back to our text. I want you to notice this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 34. Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. I need to be awakened to my shame. You need to be awakened to your shame. You say, shame? Absolutely. Shame. Shame. You see, the truth of the matter is, it's shameful. Christians don't know what sin does and what it is. It's shameful that Christians are letting people die and go to hell. It's shameful we don't have all-night prayer meetings begging God to help us. Shameful that we don't act like a Christian, look like a Christian, dress like a Christian, talk like a Christian. Be different! Because they're going to hell and they need to see somebody that has peace that they don't have. It's shameful. He says to the church at Corinth, it's a shame the way you people are living. And it was a shame. Awake! There's three things I thought about shame. Number one, the shame of slothfulness. Open your Bibles, interesting text, Hebrews chapter 6. In Hebrews chapter 6, I, I thought about the shame of slothfulness. You see, it's easy for you and I to get slothful or lazy. We quit reading our Bibles. We quit praying. We quit going to church. We make stupid little comments like, well, I don't have to go to church to serve God. No, but you have to go to church to be obedient to God, where it says, and forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, and much more as you see the day approaching. By the way, the day is approaching, so God expects me to be here more than He did in years past. That's a great truth. Let me tell you what else it does. You say, I'm a Christian. Trying to send somebody to Christ. They see you out here not going to church. They say, well, it must not be very important. They're not going. Hey, listen, let me give you a little example. Years ago, there was an atheist that lived by a Christian couple. Been trying to win him to Christ. He was up in his 90s. One day, they tried to talk to him again. He said, ah, church must not be important to y'all. He said, what do you mean? He said, well, I seen his morning yard last Sunday. He said, well, my yard needed mowing. He said, yeah, but the Bible says an atheist. A year to make the Lord's Day the Lord's Day. He said, don't tell me you think it's important because you don't believe it is any more than I do. 
Oh, what a statement. And you see, whenever you and I have an awakening, you quit making excuses because you realize somebody's watching you and they'll go to heaven or hell depending on how you live. It is a shame for our slothfulness. What a great truth. You're in Hebrews chapter 6 by now, I trust. Look in verse 10. For God is not righteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have showed toward His name, and that you have ministered to His saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. Well, those two verses are saying God knows what you're doing more, God's proud of it, and God's keeping a record of it. But watch the next verse. That ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promise. You know what's wrong with us? We're slothful. We don't read our Bibles like we should. We don't pray like we should. We're not faithful to the house of God like we should. We make all kinds of excuses for it because we're asleep. We're asleep to what it's doing, not only to ourselves, but to the people around about us. We're asleep to what it's doing to our children. Trying to tell them that serving Jesus is important and it's only important every once in a while or if you please. And Really? Trying to tell them that church is important and wants you to base your life on the things of God and your, your, your life is not grounded on the Word of God. It's grounded on everything else but... And if I get time, and if I feel like it, then I'll give God place. I need to be awakened to my slothfulness, my shame. Number two, not only the shame of slothfulness, but the shame of stubbornness. Open your Bible to Psalm 78. You see, here's another truth. Sometimes we see our slothfulness, and then we get stubborn about it. I'm still going to do it. I'm as good as anybody else. I'm doing better than most. Yeah, stubborn and stiff-necked. Psalm 78, God deals with David about this. I'm just going to read verse 8. And might not be as their fathers a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. You know what my shame is? That I'm slothful. You know what my shame is? That I'm stubborn about it. And I'm just going to keep doing what I do no matter what. I need to see Mike's shame. You need to see your shame. Awake! To righteous and sin not. By the way, I need to awake to sin and what it does. Some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. I need to awake to the souls of men, women, boys, and girls. I need to awake to my shame, slothfulness, stubbornness. That's created by pride. How do I deal with pride? One last passage and I'm done. James chapter 4. In James chapter 4, you're going to see what pride does in my life, in your life, in every life. James chapter 4. I'm going to start reading in verse number 6. James 4, 6, But giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. By the way, I don't want God resisting me. 
That might be your goal this morning is to leave here with God being against you. You might just say, I don't need... And you just, just keep the pride up and God will resist you. Now watch verse 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God. <clears throat> resist the devil and he'll flee from you. I need to submit to God and resist the devil. Watch verse 8. Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. You say, preacher, what do we need to do? Draw nigh to God. <coughs> there may be somebody here this morning that's lost and on your way to hell. You say, what do I need to do? Get saved today! You know what we Christians need to do? Draw nigh to God now! You start putting it off and you'll, you're still asleep. Keep reading. About done. How am I to draw nigh to God? Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourn, your joy to happiness or heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. If we're going to change the course of our country, it starts with me. It starts with you. Awakening in your own life. As long as we continue the way we are, it will not change. We can blame the politicians. You can blame all kinds of things. But there will be an awakening when God's people seek God and then God will do what we cannot do and it will be amazing. Awake. Every head bowed and every eye closed.